Hello, and thank you for tuning into episode two of the I Am Anxiety podcast. It's nice to chat to you again. So this is episode two. In episode one that I published last week, I talked a lot about where my knowledge of anxiety came from, how I used that knowledge to help me recover, and how I turned that knowledge into a book and a website and Facebook page and various other things to try and help other people recover, which is essentially the reason for the podcast. Uh, so a lot of what I'll be discussing in the podcast really is, um, or follows quite closely the structure of the book, because it's really a, a very nice sort of step-by-step guide approach to recovery. So if you've read the book, some of this will sound quite familiar. And uh, if not, then this is a nice way to week by week, really get a, a good step-by-step um, guide and approach to anxiety recovery taking you through um, all the various things that, in my view, you need to know and understand to, first of all, really help you get to to grips with your anxiety problem, understanding exactly where it's come from, what it's done in the body and the brain. Um, So really understanding the physiology of your anxiety and then being able to use that uh, physiological knowledge so that when it comes time to apply some of the treatment methods, some of those uh, more psychological-based treatment methods, to help us recover, we can really understand what those psychological treatment options actually do to our brain and body from a physiological perspective that helps us feel better. And it was my experience that actually being being able to put those two together really made recovery a much easier proposition. It really made it much easier to understand why the guidance and the help that I'd been given or, or the things that I realized I had to do, why they were helping. It, it doesn't work when someone tells you simply to do something because you'll feel better. When you're suffering from anxiety, you know, we really want to understand why it's going to make us feel better. What's happened to us in the first place to make us feel so badly and how what we're, what we're doing, what we're attempting is going to make us feel better. So that's really the journey that um, we'll go through in the podcast series. So today what I thought I would do is talk uh, a bit more about the physiological aspects of anxiety, so specifically in the brain. It really is um, the changes that occur in the brain over time as we worry and worry and worry that that ultimately lead us on that path from from having just the general day-to-day anxiety that uh, everybody has because anxiety is a normal emotion that we need. Uh, in order to survive, you know, it really does keep us safe when we're in danger. So we need anxiety. But um, it's it's about understanding what actually happens in the brain physiologically to take us from experiencing anxiety just in that normal way that uh, everybody does to it ultimately becoming an illness that impacts every aspect of our life and that, that it then becomes very, very difficult to recover from because we get trapped in that anxiety cycle. So I'm going to talk about a few different parts of the brain, but it's important to know, you know, that the brain has evolved a lot since humans first started populating the earth. We've been around for nearly 7 million years, and in that time, the brain has pretty much tripled in size. And most of that growth, most of that size change has occurred in around the past 2 million years. 
And those have been wonderful changes. Those changes have really allowed us to become the dominant species on the planet. They've enabled us to use our brains to do all the wonderful things that we do nowadays, to feel, to create, to imagine, and also to process the estimated 50 to 70,000 thoughts that we have each day. So the brain's a, a busy organ uh, that's got a lot to do, hence why it's developed and evolved so much over, over all that time. But there's one part of the brain that actually hasn't changed that much at all in that time. And it's the part of the brain that you'll no doubt have heard of if you are um, impacted by anxiety anyway. So it's that part of the, of the brain that controls our natural stress response, often referred to as our fight or flight response or our fight, flight or freeze response. So uh, that part of the brain that initiates that fight or flight response is called the amygdala. So I'm going to talk about three parts of the brain uh, in this uh, episode today, but also throughout the whole podcast series. There's only really three parts that we need to have a, a good basic understanding of to help us understand physiologically what's happening to us, why we've developed anxiety, and um, an understanding of those three parts uh, are also, in my view, essential to help us get on the journey to recovery. So the three parts are the amygdala, the hippocampus, and also the prefrontal cortex. But as I said, uh, as I mentioned, the amygdala is that one that's really involved in the fight or flight response. And it's probably the one that you would have heard most about if um, you're impacted by anxiety. So that fight or flight response is an automatic response and it's switched on whenever our mind perceives danger. And it's a really important mechanism it's essential for our survival. If we didn't have an amygdala, we wouldn't know to run away when someone was chasing us. We wouldn't know to uh, jump out of the way of uh, you know, a runaway car or whatever the situation might be. It's that fight or flight response that turns on very, very quickly whenever we encounter danger. It initiates a sequence of events in the body that ultimately cause our adrenal glands to then flood the body with three very important stress hormones. So those stress hormones you will also no doubt have heard of. So adrenaline, known as epinephrine in the US, noradrenaline, also known as norepinephrine, and cortisol. So cortisol is the one that's, that's really particularly troublesome for us anxiety sufferers, and I'll talk a bit more about that later. So these three stress hormones really get the body ready for action by giving us a huge burst of energy. So it's those stress hormones that literally enable us to stand and fight for our lives or to turn and run for the hills. And as a mechanism for keeping it, us safe, it works really well. And it's been working really well for thousands of years. You know, that's why we've been around for so long. That ability to really respond to danger and protect ourselves and also those around us is a really well-honed mechanism that hasn't needed to change that much in all those thousands of years because it works so, so well. Once upon a time, the only type of danger we would encounter would be out hunting for food or a challenge for dominance in our tribe. We really didn't have a lot going on back when our amygdala, our fight or flight response evolved back um, when the, the brain was in its infancy. There wasn't a lot happening that would um, cause our fight or, flight, our fight or flight response to kick in. And when it did, we truly were in danger. But the problem is that the amygdala can't actually tell the difference between a real threat and a perceived threat. And so what that means is that the body is actually flooded by those same, stre same stress hormones whenever we, we really are in danger and also just when we think we are. So if you think about 
that just for a second, how huge that is. We, our, our amygdala is, is getting us ready to fight or getting us ready to run away whenever we think we're in danger. And apply that to today, to 2020, or whenever you might be listening to this podcast, but you know, apply that to the, the current um, time that we live in. We think we're in danger a lot. There's so many things going on in our lives that cause us to think that we might be in danger, that um, are switching on that fight or flight response. You know, anything from being stuck in traffic to you have a really full email inbox when you get to work. Maybe you get a, you know, a grumpy email from your boss or maybe you get a call from child um, care or school to tell you that your child's in trouble. Or, you know, maybe you need to deliver a presentation at work. Maybe it's social media related. Maybe someone's left a nasty comment on a post and suddenly, you know, you feel that surge of, surge of anger, surge of adrenaline. So all of those things switch on our fight or flight response because our body, our amygdala is so sensitive that it's perceiving that we're in danger, that there's a threat in those situations. Even though we're not actually in any real physical danger, there's that notion of perceived danger. And so the physiological mechanism in the body is exactly the same. So what happens each time there's that perception of danger is that the amygdala triggers the fight or flight response to switch on, which then sends messages to the adrenal glands to flood our body with cortisol, adrenaline and noradrenaline. And so that's happening so, so often these days. In the short term, we can handle that. Our brain and our body can deal with it and return to normal. But consistent exposure to, in particular, to cortisol over a prolonged period of time can literally wreak havoc in the brain and in the body. Um, you know, it impacts both. So, you know, everybody's heard about the negative impacts of stress on the body. Things like high blood pressure, heart disease, obesity, diabetes lots of unpleasant things. But it's the changes that cortisol starts to actually cause in the brain that can cause real problems from an anxiety perspective. Because over time, consistent exposure to that cortisol through all of those perceived threats actually starts to increase the number of neural connections that we have in the amygdala. So that means that the amygdala gets bigger, it increases in size, and as a result, it gets better at doing its job. And if you remember, its job is to trigger the fight or flight response, which floods the body with cortisol. So the more the amygdala is triggered to do its job, the better it gets at doing its job. And when it gets better at doing it, it does it more often and more easily. So if you think about what that means from an anxiety perspective, it means that you become trapped in a cycle of worry and fear. You know, your brain literally becomes an expert at it, at worrying, because the more you worry, the more cortisol and adrenaline re you release that then causes you to feel more anxious. And so the amygdala, amygdala releases more cortisol and adrenaline, which simply causes the amygdala to get bigger, to get better and better at um, sensing danger, to get better and better at switching on your fight or flight response. And you just get caught in this cycle. You know, your mind is just basically flooded with anxious thoughts. And so it becomes, you know, this continued loop. The brain starts to sense that danger increasingly in more and more places and in more situations because the amygdala sort of becomes hyperactive almost. It's starting to sense danger everywhere. And if we lived in, in some sort of strange reality where like a, an episode of Game of Thrones or The Walking Dead, when we really were in danger every minute of every day, then you would think, great, the amygdala's really got my back here. It's really looking out for me. But 
unfortunately that's not the case and we, we really don't want our amygdala to be such an overachiever to be looking out for us quite that much it causes us all sorts of problems now, a good way to think about it is, is to look at the amygdala like a muscle and um, stress and worry are like the gym so the more gym time you give that muscle the bigger it gets and when it gets bigger it gets stronger meaning it works harder and more often and the more stress and worry we give our amygdala the bigger and stronger it gets you know unlike our biceps or our abs the amygdala is actually not something that we want to increase in size so you can really see how that part of the brain um, through you know that perceived threat that perception of danger that we encounter all through each and every day the way that we live nowadays starts to cause a problem in the amygdala and starts from a physiological perspective start to lead us out of from experiencing anxiety on a daily basis the way most people do to becoming trapped in that cycle of worry and fear because the amygdala is getting bigger and bigger so let's talk about the hippocampus which is the second part of the brain that it's important to have a, a good basic understanding of so cortisol actually also causes the hippocampus to change but in a bit of a different way to the way it changes the amygdala so the hippocampus is a part of the brain that's really heavily involved with memory uh, and in the way that we learn and it also plays a really important role in the regulation of emotion and so one really important role it plays from an emotional perspective is that it helps the body to recover from a stressful situation it helps our body actually to return to a natural state of calm once uh, our, our fight or flight response has been triggered so it, it almost um, does the opposite to the amygdala the, the hippocampus starts to calm us down but what chronic exposure to cortisol does so chronic exposure to that stress hormone that the amygdala amygdala triggers the release of actually makes the number of neural connections and pathways in the hippocampus decrease so that means the hippocampus gradually starts to decrease in size and as a result it becomes less effective at doing its job and what's its job well it's to help us recover from stressful situations so it's becoming less able to do that which means that it takes us longer and longer to recover and longer to calm down when we're anxious and the reduction in those uh, neural connections as a result of cortisol also has an impact on memory and learning so the more cortisol we have the more the function of the hippocampus is impaired which means it becomes difficult for us to remember to recall facts and to learn new things you know so on one hand we've got the amygdala increasing in size so it's getting better and better at doing its job meaning we get better at worrying better at being stressed and, and better at getting stuck in a cycle of anxious thinking and ruminating to the point where it becomes second nature and then on the other hand we've got the hippocampus that's decreasing in size and becoming less able to do its job so of course we don't recover from stress so well or so quickly to the point where we almost lose our ability entirely to return to our natural state of calm and if that wasn't enough we also then struggle to remember things and learn because of the decrease in size of that hippocampus you know there's a really good reason why suffering from anxiety makes us feel dazed confused and forgetful and, and to have this ever-present brain fog once you understand it from a physiological perspective it becomes really clear the hippocampus has reduced in size so it impacts our memory and our ability to learn and so we just feel like we're living in this sort of under this constant veil of, of fog simply because of the excess cortisol that that fight-or-flight response is triggering 
because we perceive ourselves to be in danger so often throughout the day. So that's the amygdala and the hippocampus. So what about the final part of the brain, the prefrontal cortex? So that's the structure that really most clearly differentiates human brains from the brains of other primates. And it's developed much more recently in, in evolutionary terms than the amygdala. Uh, so the amygdala has been around for a really long time, protecting us from danger. But the prefrontal cortex, you know, that part of the brain helped us move essentially from being cave dwellers to becoming the humans we are today. It's, it's quite young. So it's a really large and complex part of the brain. But one of its core functions is to regulate and control all the things that make us human. So it controls our ability to concentrate, to make rational and thoughtful decisions, our ability to make judgments about different situations that we might encounter day to day, and also our ability to interact with others. When we're anxious and stressed and we've got a hyperactive amygdala, the prefrontal cortex can't really do its job properly. So that old part of the brain, that amygdala takes over, and then all that rational thinking, rational thoughts, all those fact-based decisions that we make when we're calm and in control that are all made from that prefrontal cortex, they don't get a look in when the amygdala is running the show. You know, basically then our ability to plan and to organize, to think clearly and rationally, to focus our attention when and, and wherever we want, and to react to events and situations in a way that's appropriate, that's all inhibited. We just can't do it because of the increasing size of that amygdala and the decreasing size of the hippocampus. So that's why when we suffer from anxiety or stress, we make irrational and poor decisions. We've got difficulty concentrating. We can be ir irritable and short-tempered. So the amygdala is totally hijacking the brain and there's nothing that that front part of the brain, that prefrontal cortex, can do anything about it. When you think about it in those terms, it becomes really easy to understand why we get into such a mess, why we experience all of the symptoms that we do, and why we get so stuck. You know, you've got those three really important parts of the brain all interacting together in a really negative way to cause us to feel just so awful and dreadful day after day. And it just gets worse and, and worse because the more that we worry, the more cortisol we pump through our body, the bigger the amygdala it gets, the better it becomes at doing its job. Of course, then the smaller the hippocampus becomes, the less able we are to recover from stress, the worse we are in terms of learning and memory recall. So the more brain fog we experience. And then you add to that the fact that the, the prefrontal cortex isn't working properly and so we can't really make decisions properly, we can't think clearly, we don't feel like interacting with others, it's not as easy as it, as it used to be. You can see how then that leads us to develop an anxiety illness or an anxiety disorder. So neuroscientists actually call um, that cognitive dysfunction. And if you're experiencing this right now, or you have experienced it, then no doubt the word dysfunction is going to feel like a huge understatement. You know, you literally feel like you're drowning. Um, every day, every day can be torture really, is, is you wake up day after day just experiencing these, these symptoms without any real understanding of, of why or, or what you can do to make you feel better. So that gives uh, a really good solid understanding of the physiological uh, appearance of anxiety uh, in the brain. 
how uh, those parts of the brain are impacted and ultimately how then that leads us to develop an anxiety illness. So having that understanding is going to be crucial as we as we move forward and then start breaking it down into the different symptoms and understanding, looking at those parts of the brain, why and how we experience each of those different symptoms. Symptoms like insomnia, brain fog, a busy mind, tingling, pins and needles, twitching eyes, dizziness, nausea, um, aching muscles, you name it, you know, the list of symptoms that anxiety sufferers can experience is endless, but they all come back to that overabundance of cortisol in the body and the changes that brings about in the brain when that what that then does to the body you know as a result of, of um, those changes in the brain continuing to expose us to those stress hormones repeatedly so that's it for today next time we'll start breaking down the symptoms and start then looking at the psychological elements of recovery and how um, it's much easier to apply those psychological treatment uh, and recovery methods to our individual recovery when we can understand the physiological parts of our illness, when we can understand why we feel so bad, when we can understand why we have anxiety from a physiological perspective, why we have insomnia, why we're dizzy, why we have brain fog. When you can really break down and understand exactly what has gone on in your brain and body, then getting on that path to recovery becomes a lot easier. So thanks for tuning in and I look forward to talking to you again next week for episode three. Have a great week.